Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Silly season test of endurance has begun. Are you able to ignore the nonsense? Let's find out. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, Blackman, Twitter, and Gunner. That's right. This this is the time of the window. This is the time of the window when the football stuff has subsided. Everybody's put the last season to bed a little bit, taking a little break from thinking about that. Maybe the internationals have have just wrapped up, and the papers are looking for something. The websites need clicks. And the best way to get them is by stressing you out about transfers. That transfer you thought you were going to sign? Wait till you hear about the swoop being swooped. There is a swoop sweeping. All of the sweeps, all of the war chests, it's all happening right now. And so we will find out how that is affecting our panel. And on our panel today is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive KFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stubberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Just want to say hello, everybody. I hope your summer is going okay. I mean, this is ironically, sometimes I think this is the most anxious time for some football fans. There are definitely people for whom this time of the year is the time when they get most worked up. I feel like June is the perfect time to take a breath and breathe it out a little bit because before you know it, preseason will be back. And once preseason's back, we have to complain about not having the signings in the fold yet. We were supposed to be ready for the start of the season. We're not going to be ready. So like the cycle begins anew. This is the time to take a breath. But can you? Well, let's first remember that pointless football was played. And Tim, I have to say, I tried to watch some of these internationals. And maybe more than ever, because there is a Winter World Cup that's going to disrupt my joy, which is club football, and because just of some of the unsavory stuff around that, and because of the grueling season, it felt like we just went through. Something about fans being back actually made the season feel more intense, I think. I don't know. But I really found myself thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And watching, you know, poor Bukayo Saka having to play more football. And and some of these players who have just run their, their legs off for a season going out there so that they can make money for the Nations League, so they can make money for FIFA. So, like, it really felt to me in this round of internationals like, like a pointless exercise in burning out your key asset, which is the players. So I'm curious if you got anything of joy or fulfillment from this round of internationals. I I don't want to be the Grinch who stole football. I just could not connect to it and could not understand why we were playing them. Yeah, hundred percent. All I've watched was I watched, uh, I watched Wales, Ukraine just because that actually felt meaningful. That's like literally a playoff to see who gets to the world cup. That's a good point. Yep. So that was meaningful Mm -hmm. football. I watched that game. Um, and, and I felt weird because I kind of wanted Wales to win, but then there's this, like, I don't really have an emotional connection to the to Ukraine, but obviously with things going on there at the moment, and, you know, so it was kind of, who do, who do I want to win this? I don't know. But other than that, nothing really. I, I think I watched the last 10 minutes of England, Germany. I, like, I'm with you on this. Like, I understand why all this is happening. It's because of COVID backlogs and all of that. But, and and like, look, they're playing for money because those TV contracts and need fulfilling. It is as simple as that. There is not one person. I'm going to say fairly confidently, there is not one person in the world who would object if these games weren't played. Like even the biggest, like, and I try to be more generous towards international football because um, lots of people like that. Lots of people, particularly who come from countries who don't have like one of the big leagues, they deserve to see the players that they produced. Um, so for example, just pulling one out of the air, Chile, Chileans, they deserve to see Arturo Vidal and Alexis Sanchez. And, and, and it really means a lot to those players as well. But with these games, it's just like, 
and like it's and you're getting some strange results and i think the reason you're getting some strange results is because a lot of the players have just tapped out and just don't care anymore and like that i think they're really really going through the motions and the really weird one though was like wales played this really high octane meaningful home world cup qualifier they qualify for the world cup for the first time in what nearly 60 years and then like a couple of days later like i looked last night and they were playing in the nations league again yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. like it's totally ridiculous why like <laughs> those players probably very hung over anyway it's just like like what like generally speaking i think the nations league has actually been quite a good idea for you for countries it's been I, i've not massively invested in it but it's been a nice little idea it's better than friendlies yeah. and i think also it gives you know countries of a similar level the chance to play one another which i think benefits everyone and i think you can see that in world cup qualifying that some of these middle lower middle countries are actually doing i mean the world cup's getting bigger anyway so it is easier to qualify but you are like I think it is pushing up the quality in, in some of those teams, but just at the moment it feels, even if we know all the reasons why it's happening, it feels entirely in, inappropriate with all of the stuff we've gone through where we didn't have a summer 2020 at all, basically, yep. because of COVID. And then there was the Euros last summer, and then there's this, there's Winter World Cup. Like it it feels it feels dodgy. It feels like we're pushing at something here and the, the upshot is going to be the football will be less enjoyable. I think this will be a terrible World Cup quality-wise, right? The group stages will be awful. They're getting worse anyway because they're getting bigger and so you're getting fewer meaningful games. You know, players going a week before the World Cup to join their countries, no preparation games, no time together. A lot of them, completely different climate. Like those group stage games are going to be, they're going to be bad. There's going to be yeah. no excitement, no build up. Every I think from a Premier League perspective, a lot of fans are going to be like, "You've taken my pre-, like the Premier League was getting good, and you've taken it away from me for a yeah. month." And <laughs> it's going to take people a long time to get into this World Cup. I, I think it's going to be the worst one, quality wise, and I think interest wise, like the the sense I get because obviously these guys currently running FIFA as much as they're but as bad as the last people, they didn't actually do the guitar thing. I just get the sense they're like, fuck it, we've just got to plough through this. Like, we've just got to get past this, and then, you know, this is a complete shit show. And, yeah, it's it's just, um, it, it feels wrong, basically. It's not just that I'm not interested in the games. To me, it just feels wrong that they're playing football at all. And, and I have to admit, right, like, I don't know why I'm so worried about these fine-tuned athletes who make millions and millions of pounds being told to go out and play a sport I would play for free a little bit more but I'm worried about it like I don't I don't know why I am like it's a silly thing to be worried about I guess it's like to me I don't want the standard when the games matter as you identified to drop I don't want to have worse meaningful games because we're playing these I'm going to call it a pointless game. That's how I feel. But, okay, we've gotten the old man yells at Cloud part of it out. The good news is Clive always cares about all the football. He thinks all the football is worthwhile and should always be played. And not played, but studied, absorbed, rewatched. No, the rewatching is Paul. Clive doesn't need a rewatch to absorb and analyze. So I will say to you, Clive, bring the joy back. Tell me why. This round, other than the, the World Cup qualifiers, obviously, tell me why this this latest round of sensational Nations League football and global football friendlies captivated you, what we learned from it. Did we learn anything maybe about Arsenal players, about Bukayo Saka being a, a critical piece of the England team? What, what stands out for you from this, uh, let's just say it, um, existentially crucial round of international football? Yeah, so thanks for putting me in that little box there, but I'm going to wiggle out of it. And, uh, it's a big box. It's a big box full of the joy of football. Yeah, Come wiggle on. out of it. Player welfare. When, right, when, when, when are we going to discuss it properly? When are we going to have a true global calendar um, without competing forces against each other? When are we going to have that adult conversation? We're not really, are we? What are we going to do? We're going to stick a Winter World Cup in there. We're going to keep the League Cup going. We're going to raise the Champions League from th- 32, I think, to 36 group games in a couple of years' time. That's going to be expanded. 
none of these major European or world tournaments are having less teams in it, right? So it comes a situation where you say to yourself, you're going to get what you get. And what, you, and what we're seeing are players jogging around and not jumping out of 50-50s, but not maybe attacking them with the same gusto, shall we say. Do you know what I mean? And, and quite rightly, you don't need a six-monther right now when the Winter World Cup's coming up and you're just about to go on holiday. I'll tell you what you do. You jog through the games and you do your warm down and you tick it off and then you you get ready for to get out to Benidorm, he says metaphorically. Right? So um, I don't think they'll be going there. right? So, um, But it's always good things to see. I think with England, for example, it's very interesting watching Southgate scramble, um, watching Germany outpass us, pop us around with a proper structured build-up positional play. And England, as always, although they're multi-talented, shall we say, multi-talented, what we end up doing, we use the England team as a vehicle for certain individuals' careers. We've done it with Rooney, we did it with Beckham, and now we're doing it with Kane, who's stat-padding his way along, while other people like Tammy Abraham are carrying his sponge bag around Europe. I think it's despicable, needs to change, it's getting a bit pally, and we need he needs to work out who he needs to invest in from a playing point of view. I could go into this, maybe it's maybe it's too deep for this podcast, but, <laughs> but I really want to go into how England play who they invest I in. I like Jody. to think of us as the superficial man's podcast. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wouldn't I, want you to go too deep on any topic. <laughs> I just I, I get I get frustrated. And I by the way, I'm a huge Southgate fan, what he's done, how he's completely transformed the culture of England, how he's completely made England an inclusive team to watch. There are people watching England now, different shapes, colours and sizes would never have done when I was growing up. And that's a lot down to him and what he's done for the team and how he's pushed certain people forward. It's sometimes, much like it happened towards the end of Enka's reign, he got comfortable with certain people around him and I think he just needs to keep his edge. And also I think he needs to layer himself having a a different coach than Steve Holland who can start to develop a level of progression, ball progression, similar to what Conte's doing, what Arteta's doing, what Klopp's doing, what Pep's doing. We need a coach at that level who understands that type of positional play because these players are gaining every week. And so you need to have that in the England team because we looked a little bit outcoached against Germany, for example. So we're going to do these games, learn something, coach, do it properly, Build a pattern. Doesn't matter if you win or lose, but show me something that we can get excited about rather than rely on certain individuals and watch Harry Kane get get goal scoring records. That's what he seems to be all about, and I'm not I'm not a fan of that, mate. In case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> it's it's pretty easy for me to not be a fan of it. One of the things that I think I've been very fortunate about, and I do feel sorry for you guys because I don't know how how you do it. I don't have to root for Harry Kane ever. I don't have to want him to score. I don't want to have to see him do good things. I don't I don't have to ever be invested in positive things happening for Harry Kane. I never had to be invested in positive things happening for John Terry. Never had to be invested in positive things happening for Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard. So, like, I, that's the one area where I think, because I will root for England generally. You know, I'm probably not against the U.S. in the World Cup. Sorry, guys. Just one of those things. But, like... I, yeah, I mean, we don't need to get into it right now. It's probably a, a conversation for, oh, I don't know, the Winter World Cup. But like the rooting for the guys you hate on the other team thing, it's hard. It's it's hard for me. And maybe it's also because we don't really have a culture of international sport within our sort of club sports and American sport, right? Like if you're an NFL fan, there's no NFL World Cup where you're like, now I'm rooting for the quarterback from the team I hate. That There's just no analog to it. So I don't I don't have the practice, thankfully. Um, Tim... Would you have anything else to, to add on the international football now that we've really expressed the joy of football that this podcast is dedicated to at least two to three times a week? So the, the only two things I'd mention, first of all, I think Kevin De Bruyne, um, who's usually quite a straight speaker, quite a straight shooter, worth digging out his quotes from a week or 10 days ago where he said, I don't want to play in these games. I don't think they should be being played. And he was bringing up the player welfare thing and he was saying, we keep saying it's too much, but no one's listening to us. The other thing as well, it's not, you know, with the Winter World Cup, the Premier League starts on the 6th of August. Like, these guys, are, like, Arsenal start pre-season again, like, in another two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Our first friendly is the 8th of July. And, like, Bukayo Saka's still playing, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And and it's, it's just like, like, 
it literally doesn't stop anymore. It doesn't. It's like two weeks at the most. And even then, what will happen is because, like, I'm using Saka as an example because he's the most pertinent one for it. It's Smith Rose to Smith Rose playing for the fucking under twenty ones. Like, I'm sorry, I, I know like he's on the cusp of the England squad and all of that. He is miles above that level. He does not belong in the under twenty ones anymore. He starts for Arsenal, and all he's done in the under twenty ones is basically just walk. Like, it's like he's playing children, and that's not his level anymore. It is yeah. a waste of his time. Not only a waste of his time, but he's had physical problems. Like he, that like the best thing for his welfare is not to be fucking playing children who are playing in the reserves or playing for like in the Estonian second division. Like he should be resting up, and and it's just not like really good for him. So like it, it, even when they get that like two week break, all that happens is their preseason gets accelerated so that we can have them on the first day of the season. So like Saka can start at Brentford last year when he got all the way to the final of the Euros and then like yeah. enjoy your two weeks off uh, by the way now you're back you've got to do four weeks pre-season in two weeks so that we can have you on the pitch for the first game of the season it's like it's like no rest at all totally basically and, and, and I do think we're pushing at something here that you we know shouldn't what? be pushing at now you've got me thinking Tim now you're getting me angry now right so um, let's, terrific let's, let's talk about <laughs> Smith I was <laughs> let's talk about Smith Rowe for example Right, so that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of it this way. What he needs right now is actually to be working with a personal trainer, work on the parts of his body that's failing without having to be fit, if you know what I mean by that. Just working on the weak points in his body so that when he comes back to training, he can sustain it and he can sustain 90-minute gains. Because let's be honest, his best patch of the season was potentially coming off the bench in January when he was literally playing as almost like a finisher. Do you know what I mean? And that yep. concept yep. of starters and finishers, we'd have to get used to it in in football now because you know my rugby thing. I'm a big rugby fan. And that's what they've had now. And they have starters and they have finishers. Literally two players for each position almost in rugby. They haven't got that many subs. But we're going to head towards that. So Smith Rhodes' role could change. And we have to think about football in a different way. Who's to, how you start games, how you finish games. Five subs, godsend. That's one thing we finally got through because there are certain majors that are out of the league now and out of jobs that stopped it the first time round. We're the only team in Europe. Five subs helps, transforms the game from a coaching perspective, transforms the game from how we start to how we finish and how we analyse it as a fan and potentially protects players' legs. But Smith Rowe needs to be with a personal trainer, working on those green areas, those those areas that are problems for him and rest them and work them before he goes anywhere near football pitch. And he shouldn't be playing a dog and duck out in Europe under 21s and passing it to Balogun for a five-a-side goal and high-fiving each other and going on to Instagram. It is crap. And we need to change it because we're breaking these players down and their careers, as we said before, are quite finite. And so we need to protect them. Yeah, well said. Well, look, I mean... I have to admit, I, I thought I would be the guy who, yeah, six in the morning, a little grumpy. I'm down on international football right now. I'm not in touch with the, the sentiment, the zeitgeist, and these guys will pull me back. And that's not what's happened. And, and I have to admit, I love being surprised. And in fact, it turned out that I was the one who had sort of a devil-may-care attitude. And I have found two people more angry about this topic than myself. So, mission accomplished. Tim, if there's something you want to get angry about, it's the swoop. Real Madrid have swoped. There goes Gabriel Jesus. Tielemans, who knows? He could be off to some side in in South America, or, or maybe he's going to MLS. Maybe we're not going to sign anybody at all. Darwin Nunez, why aren't we signing Darwin Nunez? We were supposed to sign him in January. Now, look, Liverpool are going to get him for just 170 million pounds. It's, it's all happening, and it's all infuriating. Um, it isn't all happening. That's the problem, right? And it isn't all infuriating, but it feels that way at times. And and I do think that I have sort of settled on the idea that the plan primarily is that we're going to get Tielemans and we're going to get Gabriel Jesus and then we're going to get a lull. Saliba's probably going to come back. I don't know that he's going to stay for this season. I don't know that I believe that's a fait accompli, but he's going to come back. And then I think there's going to be a sort of pause where we see what's out there and assess and see if some of the targets we're kind of interested in shake loose or if a price can make sense and if we go for it. 
But I really do, that's what it feels like to me, reading tea leaves with absolutely no information. So let's start by saying, do you, in general, if we take a breath, slide all the rumors away, and just step back and look at the chess pieces on the board, is that how you see still our summer shaking out, or do you have maybe a, a different perspective? A hundred percent. I think you're absolutely right. I think we can see that we've got two main targets and we've got budget for those. The rest, I think, is going to depend on sales and what we get for the many, many players that we're kind of ushering out the door. So what, what do we get for Burn Leno? What do we get for Ainsley, Maitland, Niles? How quickly do those deals happen? Because the problem is that deals like that tend to happen at the end of the window. No one's going to come and knock on our door with 15 million for Ainsley, Maitland, Niles at the moment because the kind of club that will be in for him will be the kind of club, club that shops at the end of the window. So I, I think I think you're right. Those are our two main targets. I think the advantage we've got is the World Cup. So someone like Gabriel Jesus, he wants it sorted now, 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 because he's on the, you know, he's been out of the Brazil squad this year. Like he, he's he's got, it's serious for him. He needs to be in that squad. Um, and so he'll want it. He'll want it sorted. Same for Tielemans. Like I'm not as familiar with the Belgium squad. Um, I think he's like a, a fair in, but is maybe on, not as on a the starter, bench, mate. Again, yeah, on the bench too. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, he'll want it sorted. And and also like he's a player we're we're signing actually from from a club who are below us mm-hmm. in the kind of in the pecking order, in the wealth order, in the table, any way you want to look at it. So I think he'll be keen to make the big move with Jesus. It's it's different because it will be unfortunately like a, a half step down maybe as much as we don't like to admit it but mm-hmm. I think he'll want that sorted the rest I think will come down to sales uh, I think and, and I think you're right there there will just be a lull and I kind of think that's fine I think like these are guys that are going to go into our first 11 right so you want those quickly the rest are probably going to be squad players and I don't think it's as important to have like you know you can spin those ones out a little bit. I think what's really interesting about the summer transfer window overall is the big deals are done, right? So Haaland, yeah. done. Mbappe, I mean, he hasn't moved anywhere, but that's sorted. That's done. And so, like, the big chess pieces have already moved. If you cast your mind back to, like, the summer we got Ozil, like, that's dragged out because the big, the kingpin was um, Bale, and that didn't go through till deadline day. And sometimes that happens. What happens with the kingpin transfers really, really matters. And so now, like obviously there are rumours about Gabriel Jesus and Real Madrid. I'd take them with a large pinch of salt. Madrid have to move like a South American player um, out. Otherwise they can't accommodate him. I, I can't see who that's going to be um, really. So, I, you know, I think, and I think there might be a little bit of standoff, a little bit of agent talk. But so Real Madrid, the fact that, I mean, they, they are a bit fucked because they didn't go for Haaland because they thought they were going to get Mbappe and they didn't. And net, but, but at the very least, it's shaken out early for them. So they know in May, right, OK, we haven't got our two biggest targets, but we've got some time to go like maybe a little bit down the list. So the, the, the big kingpin ones have happened and that usually dictates what happens in the market. So again, you look at like Neymar going to PSG. That happened in like the middle of the window and that had a knock-on effect. So like Coutinho didn't happen and that all happens at the end of the window. But these are the first transfers that have happened. Like looks like Liverpool are going to get uh, Nunez. Like, you know, again, in Premier League terms, big transfer happened early. So... And I think that the World Cup is driving a lot of that. Um, and I think that is very advantageous for us. I, I do think, and I stand to be proven wrong here, I think the trend is showing that the big transfers will happen early. Um, and that's why I'm I'm relatively optimistic once we get these very meaningful, uh, rich internationals out of the way, um, mm-hmm. that we'll see some deals happen and some stuff done like in early July. They'll go to the beach, leave it with their agents, come back, sign on the dotted line, brilliant. That That's kind of what I think will happen. And then the more median business, I think will it will just happen at the end. And I don't think there's any avoiding that. Clive, you see it any different or maybe... No, no, I said something similar. I said something similar. The World Cup will drive, will drive a lot of the, uh, the angst, shall we say. And something that I know, yeah. you know, inside the club, I can, I can remember this even when I'm... 
someone's at an academy, the number one currency within a club, there's probably two actually, is size of your contract and the length, and minutes. Minutes is key. You you get judged on minutes. The people that play the most minutes are the ones that are in favour. And I think, again, we're flipping my brain back to the five subs. Minutes now and how you measure your time and your value is maybe we have to flip our mindset to get away from starts. How many minutes are you getting? How many minutes can you offer someone when you're trying to buy them? You know, And I think with Gabriel Jesus, you just seen Lacazette trot off to the south of France with three-year contract in his bin. Thank you, my friend. Did a great job. Let's not go there, Tim. Don't get me even more angry. All right, so, <laughs> so I think um, so. He's signed his contract. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. I'm, I'm stop. 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 But now if you're sitting there. Now you're Gabriel Jesus. You know there's a spot for you. It's you, you can you can even have the same shirt number. There you go. It's yours. We can give you minutes. You are versatile forward. We have plenty of gaps in the forward line. We have children running up and down the outsides. I know you can play there too. And we've got, although they are improving, <laughs> and and you have, we have no centre forward. I don't know if you all saw the wonderful pass maps that came out Def Lake this week, showing all of our passing styles. And we look quite good. But our centre forward dot was like... <laughs> It was something to behold. Deeper, deeper than our central midfield. <laughs> we played with ten men basically. So how do we? We need to be giving Arteta a much bigger contract because he got to he got us to fifth place. We played with ten men. You know, what I mean, that's literally what happened. So, you know, I, <laughs> I'm I'm just going to cough, cough real quick to point out that we did have other strikers. Oh uh, yeah, I'm only one joking. that played okay for Barca and and one that finished the season strongly that had to take a long time to get his chance. Just pointing yeah. out, oh, you, yeah, you can point out that maybe that other striker was more interested in getting his headband and his hairstyle correct. Well, yeah, yeah for a yeah, period I, of time. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> I mean, I'm being a cantankerous today, but you, we, the guys that listen to us <laughs> properly, um, you, you know, what, for me, what do you <laughs> have to be cantankerous about? You haven't had lunch yet. What's going on? <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's you, you guys all understand, right? We need more impact in that central area. We can offer it, right? We can offer it. And so yeah. if you are these players looking to put the next phase of your career in someone's hands, you know we have places to fill. And so it feels more comfortable to me if I was there. Yeah. So I'll say this. I mean, firstly, I do think we will get Gabriel Jesus, and I do think we will get Yuri Tielemans. I think those deals will get done. Um, I don't quite see Gabriel Jesus being a Real Madrid target. Um, I don't think there's another Premier League club that's interested and no one pays the wages we do. Plus he gets the chance to really be the star signing for Arsenal play across the entire front three, get to play a bit of striker going into a world cup season. I mean, it is the perfect runway for him to go make his case for the Brazil team. And as Tim has pointed out multiple times, Brazil players care about the Brazil team. Now that's not to say other players don't care about their national teams, but maybe it is a little bit unique. Um, there One thing I like did Vinchenko. see today, mm -hmm. sorry, mate, Elliot. Yep. One thing I did Please. see today was a rumor of Chelsea. And, you know, when you see a rumor, you sort of spin it around and think, ah, it's not going to work. But the Chelsea one is, is a little bit unknown. They've got a new ownership. Obviously, we're not sure how they're going to behave. We know they've got Lukaku who wants to go back to Italy, which he made quite clear within 20 minutes of arriving in back in London. And you got Werner, where there's rumors that they want to do something with him again. Havertz is top player. I'm not sure I know how to use him. So if you want to wish yourself into doom and sleepless nights, then that rumour is quite interesting. But I think the work's been done with Jesus. I think I agree with you. I think he'll end up coming. There's just so many forwards at Chelsea. Again, I, I think he would walk into a scenario where, yeah, he has Champions League football, but what his role is, I mean, maybe they can sell him that his role would be clear. It's not going to be any more clear, any more available than at Arsenal. Um, Tim, before we move off this, I, a couple other topics on this, but... I, you know, I think one thing that happened last summer is we made so many signings that were not just like starter level, but just it was a lot of signings, right? It was a lot of signings. It was a lot of signings that needed to be made because I, I look, I said it multiple times prior to last transfer window. We were a tear down rebuild. We, we had a couple of academy kids and nothing else really. And we did it. We replaced the keeper. We replaced a center back. We replaced a right back. We replaced, well, added a midfielder. We, I mean, we added 
another, I mean, uh, another center back. We added, um, all of a sudden, I can't think of any of the players we signed, which is kind of hilarious now that I think about it. With but Sambi, like, we, Nuno. Yeah, uh, oh, Odegaard, right? We had, because I guess he, he had been loaned and then bought. And, and I mean, we really started ourselves down that road. And so that, that sort of teardown rebuild got a bit of a boost last summer, but I think it also fooled people into thinking that's the kind of summer we're going to have every summer. Firstly, you don't need or want to need to have a summer like that every summer because I don't want us to now buy five or six more players, first of all, be disruptive and unnecessary. Um, you know, setting aside like kids or long range punts, you know, a Marquinhos type signing. What we really need is to get real quality in the positions that need it most. And Tielemans and Jesus certainly, I think, address that. Now, some people would say another forward would be needed, and I'm inclined to agree. But, you know, I can remember summer when all we signed was Petr Cech, right? I can remember summers where two signings of first team quality was a haul. That that was it. That's what we got. And I, I do think that we should reset our expectations to be a little more in line with that. The only thing I would ask is, do you think we might get surprised by a role for a player we didn't otherwise expect? Is there a loanee who could come back and fill a role? Could a Marquinhos play minutes? Could he be a Europa League player right off the bat? Do you, do you think that in addition to the signings we've already covered, you know, and maybe like we said, there's one more out there. We're going to see how the market shakes out and kind of do our own swooping. Is there a, a Loney returning or or a, a player like a Marquinhos, someone that might wind up having a role in a position that isn't otherwise filled as well as we might like it to be? Yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot, and like I, you know, I I don't think it's actually going to happen, nor should it happen. Not least because a lot of the players we're talking about have one year left on their contracts, but I. I Personally, if you put that to one side, I'd love Torreira as a party backup. Now, I'm not saying he's the same player, but what Torreira can do and where he's at his best is anchoring a midfield. Like Torreira's at his best in a midfield diamond, and that's kind of what we play anyway. So he's at his best at the tip of the diamond. He obviously does it very differently from party, but at least he is actually comfortable in that role, um, I actually think his passing is a lot better. I, I think there's more to come from his passing. We'll never see it at Arsenal, so I don't really care anymore. But I think he's a better passer than he's shown. Um, but I, I, like, I don't see that happening, and, and it shouldn't happen either because we need to get we need to get paid for some of these guys. I think Marquinhos is the most interesting one, and the reason I think that I tried to put together the other day, like in my head, like what what's our Europa League starting team? And it was it got difficult for the front positions, right? Because it's like, yeah, probably Inketia up front, assuming he does sign that contract. And then at the sides, it's like, well, is Pepe going to be here? Probably not. Like that's a slightly like the number ten and the wide forwards. Like with, with the wide forwards, you'd kind of think whoever hasn't played the previous Premier League game between Smith Rowe and Martinelli, but maybe we need Smith Rowe in that number 10 role because we don't really have anyone else that plays number 10. So there's there's a few things. So I think Marquinhos could play and start in the Europa League. I listened to the conversation you guys had the other day about Balogun. I think he should go straight back out on loan. I completely understand the argument that we have Europa League, we have Carabao Cup and all of that. But I, I think he's into a flow now. Oh, I, I didn't even do that deliberately. <laughs> <laughs> into a flow he's, Balogun. He's into perhaps? a flow Balogun. <laughs> he's into a flow and a rhythm of games. And I think I think he should continue with that. And I think he should go back out on loan, even if it's for the first half of the season. But I don't think we should take that away from him. And in hindsight, we should have sent him out on loan last August. I think we lost half a season with Balogun. Um, because he didn't play, like he's played that Brentford game and then didn't really play after that, and and really that that loan should have happened like August deadline day, and he should have spent the whole of last season out on loan. So I think we're rectifying something there, but like he should have at least the first half of this season on loan. I think in reality probably all of next season. You know, another club like Middlesbrough, top end of the Championship, I think would be ideal because he's a striker. I'd like him to play in a team that attacks. I don't really want him at the bottom of the Premier League on the bench, you know, playing up front in a 4-5-1 or, oh, shit, we might get relegated, so I can't risk this kit. Like, I'd like him to play. Like, I thought Middlesbrough was a good fit, like a playoff contention side in the championship who, you know, usually attacks and wins. I think that would be perfect for him. I think he should go back out on loan. 
and and yeah, and if Inketia, for example, is our Europa League striker, that leaves questions on the sides for yeah. me um, because we don't know who we're going to have yet. And there is for me definitely, and you know, depending on what they want to do with him, I don't know. I don't know whether they'd like to send Marquinhos out on loan. I think there's there's definitely minutes for him there. Yeah, I think one of the things that we'll learn more is is in preseason, obviously, right? Like, it, it, when we get to see some of these players, I mean, I, I do think the Saliba situation is a great example, too. I mean, I assume he's going to come back and be a part of the squad, but if he isn't, it pains me to say it, because you know I don't want us to do it, we may have to add a center back. Hooray! Can I, um, um, j- just because I wasn't yeah. on any of the pods where you discussed Saliba, I, I just, like, one thing I, I quickly said, like, if I was having the conversation with Saliba, because obviously he wants to go to the World Cup and all of that, and he's not going to be first choice, my sell from an Arsenal perspective would be, but your first backup for left centre-back, your first backup for right centre-back, and if slash when Tommy Asu <laughs> feels his calf again, Ben White's moving across to right back because we don't want Cedric in the team anymore if we can help it, and you'll play then. So I think the sell for Saliba is, okay, you're not strictly first choice, but there's three spots there. One of those guys falls down, you're in. It's only left back, which is probably unfortunate because Tien is probably the most likely to break down. But you say to him, you're getting all the Europa League games, cup games, whatever, and one of those three defenders breaks down, needs rotating, you're the one in. That's my sell to Saliba. Back I to like minutes. It. Back I to mean, minutes again, isn't yep. it? Minutes is a currency. It's a currency of football, and there are minutes available for him. And so that's why I think we'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it just boils down to the the manager actually wanting him. And, and Clive, you may want to rattle your mic wire just in case. We, we like to hear you. Sometimes you're a bit quiet, but with no microphone, you will be so, so quiet. Um, we're going to talk pricing, too, because I, I want to ask you guys a little something about the market. But one of the ways that you get better is obviously just by adding the most elite talent. Uh, that, that goes without saying. Finding the most elite talent is hard, and sometimes you have to reach out to a third party. You need a partner who can help you find that talent. And I'm just trying to think, just spitballing here. Who could that who could that partner be that might help you find oh, I know, Indeed. Because Indeed is a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like instant match assessments and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches the job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. Now, I've been talking about Instant Match a lot, but there's a a feature that they kind of told me about a little bit more, got a chance to play around with it, and it is brilliant, and it's virtual interviews. And virtual interviews, I mean, it's not just because of the COVID thing, because I know a lot of people feel like they're moving beyond that, but there is virtual work now, a hybrid model, not going into the office as much. And so I think virtual interviews becomes a way to attract talent from places that may not be as proximate to your home office, but to get the best people wherever they may be. Well, virtual interviews indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, interview, top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews work right from your browser. Saves you headaches. Interview virtually with no downloads, plugins, or purchases. You get all one place with Indeed. With Indeed's reliability assessment, you can even predict the the timeline of, of what it'd be like to work with that candidate. So it's time sign up for indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus earn $500 extra in sponsored job credits with indeed's virtual interviews. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to learn more. Claim your credits at indeed.com slash blue wire, indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need indeed. Is that it? Indeed. Nailed it. All right. Look, Clive, price. Mm. You can't just buy a player unless you consider the price, unless you're Manchester City. Now, there is always someone who's going to be like, not my money, don't care. And I get it. And if you don't want to care, I've said this so many times, you don't have to care. You just don't have to care. You can be like, I want the best players. Buy me the best players. I want to root for the best players. And I, by the way, I totally get that. 
The reason we care is because we believe, rightly or wrongly, that there's a budget, that we have to stay within it, that we're only willing to pay a certain amount of wages and certain amount of transfer fees, and so we have to build the best club we can doing that. The best squad, I should say, that we can. We have the best club already. Um, Liverpool gets held up as the exemplar because of what they've achieved. By and large, it's not that they didn't spend. They clearly spent, but there was some smart selling and there was some clever buying. And I kind of want to poke at this a little bit because something's been, I've been thinking about, you know, when I look at Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah and Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota and Robert Firmino, a lot of 30 to 40 million pound players entering prime. That's the pool where they wanted to play, especially with attackers. And I look at Gabriel Jesus, and maybe he's topping out a little higher than that, although inflation happens. But, you know, a similar kind of model maybe developing for us there. There is a decoupling. And what I mean by that is there is a top end that is 100 million. And there is a middle tier that's 40 million. And you cannot convince me there's necessarily 60 million pounds of value difference. When I look at Tammy Abraham last summer and I look at Darwin Nunez this summer, do I think Darwin Nunez might be the better prospect? It's possible. Do I think it's proven? I don't. Do I think he is 60 million more than Tammy Abraham? I mean, your mileage may vary. So, Clive, is it the case that maybe, just maybe, you know, Erling Holland might be worth $100 million. I, and maybe Darwin Nunez is too, but do you think that at the top end, the prices have run away? Because what used to happen, here's the funny thing. It used to be you either bought the established 27-year-old who was in his prime, proven star, cover of the FIFA video game, and you bought him for $100 million, or you bought the young guy for $25 million. And he became the 100 million pound player. That was the Dortmund model. But now guys like Chuameni with one good season are 100 million. He went for 100 million to Real Madrid. Guys like Nunez, one breakout season, 100 million. And that to me makes a lot less sense. You spend 100 million when you are convinced that what you're buying is a proven 100 million pound asset. And the point of buying young players was that they could appreciate in value. These guys can't appreciate in value. So I. Do you, do you think at the top end, the market has maybe run away from itself a little bit? Because I, I don't see how Chuameni and Darwin Nunez, as amazing as they may be, are values at these prices or, or make sense at these prices yet. Have they done enough? Um, not yet. But the, the, you look at one of two ways, right? You, you look at, say, Nunez, right? And the energetic, dashing, running player, quite quick. Not, say, super presser, but obviously if, you've got, if you're that energetic and that level of physical intensity... It's not hard to coach that, right? So so you can see Liverpool, that's the sort of player that they like, high-energy players that move. I think the next phase of their attack is a, is a little bit more rotation in their attack. I think Diaz is not somebody you can pin to a side. He's everywhere. Nunes is somebody that can play left or centre or right. He's everywhere. So you can see the next phase of Liverpool developing, a bit more rota- offensive rotation. So um, that would be interesting. Would yeah. I pay 85 for him? Well, I know Brighton tried to get him for 30 about a year ago. West Ham went in at 45 about about eight months ago, wherever he was. And now it's, I think, 85 million pounds, 100 million euros, wherever it is, just overnight. And for me, that's not value. Uh, it's not value. Yeah. And people say, hey, it's not your money, Clive. Well, you know what? When they come in at 72 million into our club or 50 million pound Ben White, uh, the same people say it's not our money. The same people say, well, he's not doing it for 50 million or 72 million. And so we, we critique them based on their cost, right? So um, so for me, you have me said before, how you walk into a room is very important. But it doesn't mean you should be going out there and buying rubbish, so we're back to where we started, aren't we? We're back to the Gabriel Jesus and Tiedemans. Proven Premier League players, 24-25. Something to prove next phase of their career. Got good motivations. We know what their floor is. And potentially there's much more of a ceiling there. Gabriel Jesus is not overplayed. He's got every motivation to do something for Arsenal Football Club. For himself and his international career. You know, so I like that signing. It makes sense. It might it feels about five mil over the top, but it's not forty five mil over the top, right? And we've got a, we've got a right. We're going to get rid of this forty mil over the top. Do you know what I mean? And so that's a problem. Tielemans again got a bit stale. Um, Leicester just needs a change of environment, and we've all done that in our job. Sometimes need to move on. Just need to move on and find something in you that's been laying dormant. So I think he will. He'll be fine. So. I tend to agree with you, Elliot. Everyone now is 
listening to podcasts and getting smart. And people are looking at these young teams. Te- <laughs> they're looking at what Leicester did, or what Liverpool have done, and what Dortmund have done historically, what RB Leipzig have done. Think, oh, I fancy some of that. I'm gonna now go young. Of course, you think when you when you got an increase in demand, you can increase the price, and suddenly that value is no longer there. Right, so it's it's a challenge. So you have to keep moving as the market moves and evolve your strategy as the market evolves. There's always talent. You need to be smart. You need to be smart. A bit Bayern Munich smart. You go to people a year ahead and say, "Don't sign that contract. You've got a year to go, because <laughs> we will come back for you in a year's time, uh, and we will we'll make sure it's a loan to Werder Bremen, and then you can come back and join us mm-hmm. for five six million, and then we can sell you for forty five while you win us the Champions League and, and eight league titles on the trot. You need to be smart like that, really. I think that's what Arsenal have done with Jesus. To be honest, to be fair to them, they spoke to him a long time ago, and this. This has been in the post, isn't it? You don't get early in Ireland just by waking up one day and saying, I fancy him. This has been in the post. And one thing we have got leverage on early in Ireland, he wants a number nine shirt. And the only person blocking that is a, the bloke that we want to buy. So if I'm arsehole, drag your feet. You might come down a little bit. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, this is the market that's being created. Tim? I was just going to say, and like in terms of Arsenal striker, I mean that's been coming for like three years, right? We've all like Lacazette, Aubameyang's contract. Like we've all known that, yeah. that this moment was was coming, so we've had plenty of time to plan for it. I just wanted to add as well on prices. I, I've got a feeling Paul might have said exactly this, so forgive me if he did, um, or maybe I just imagined it. But I'm sure like, it'll you, sound better coming out of your mouth. <laughs> But, you know, you're talking about like maybe Gabriel Jesus five million over the top on what's being quoted at the moment. And I agree. But, um, you know, you look at like Ben White. Was Ben White worth 50 million? I I mean, I don't know if you want to argue the bones out of it, but I don't. (laughs) I don't care. Like it's fine. Like Ben White for 50 million. He plays every single game and, and I think he's good. Fine. Like that. That is not a problem. If we overpaid for Ben White by five million 10 million, whatever. I mean, it's certainly not any more than that. Give a shit, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, this is the point. It is in our money. Once it's spent, as long as they're good, who cares? I do think where this conversation gets lost is opportunity cost. This is the point that I think people lose. Would I take Darwin Nunez for 100 million? Sure. I don't think he's worth it, but I'd take him for that. I mean, Clive and I did a scouting video of him. And I think that means that we definitively understand him at a level that probably even Liverpool's scouting department doesn't. And like (laughs) the guy is fast, the guy is strong, the guy can shoot, the guy can score, the guy can't trap the ball and he can't pass it. So is he a hundred million pound player? Maybe he is. But let me say this. The issue isn't the price, it's the opportunity cost. And what I mean, Tim just brought up Ben White at 50 million. Was Ben White a bargain at 50 million? I mean, yeah, he plays every game and he's great. The question was always though, is there something we can do with the money other than that that makes us better? So, for example, if I said that we could get Darwin Nunez for 150 million pounds this summer, would you take it? Of course. Why wouldn't you want him? But what if I told you that that means that is the only signing we will make for three windows? You wouldn't do it because it's giving up too much other stuff that we can do, need to do, should do, must do. And that's the point because when. You sell a player for big money and you have more money to spend, you can strengthen the team. When you spend 70, 72 million on Nicola Pepe, where do you wind up? You wind up in two seasons of purgatory because your squad is not good enough, because you didn't spend the money efficiently, and you wind up needing a full teardown rebuild after finishing eighth in consecutive seasons. That's the problem. And so it isn't, oh, well, it's not your money. Why do you care? I agree it's not my money. If you told me tomorrow, that Arsenal are going to have a one billion pound budget over the next three windows, then I don't care what we pay. Get me the best players. But because I don't believe that, I have to care what we pay because that dictates how much strengthening we do. Right, Tim? Like the point isn't whether Ben White is worth 50 or Darwin Nunez is worth 100 or what Odegaard is worth, what anyone is worth. The point is if you take the total amount of money that the club is willing to spend, what is the best outcome you can achieve using that total amount, right? Like if I send you to the grocery store and I say you have 100 pounds to spend and I want you to make me the best meal possible, if you see that steaks are 100 pounds for one steak, I'd like to have steak, 
but you're not going to be able to make the best meal just with steak and nothing. I mean, maybe, maybe you could, but you get my point, right? The opportunity cost is the piece of the puzzle we have to consider. And, and granted, we don't know our budget, so it's hard, but that, that's really the missing piece of the discussion or, or an important piece of the discussion. 100%. And what's happened in Arsenal's forward line is the perfect illustration of that, right? With Lacazette, mm-hmm. Aubameyang and Pepe. None of them are bad players. None of them, like, look, Pepe is the closest to like a flop of the lot. He's still done stuff. He's still done good stuff. We can sit, like, we haven't paid loads of money for someone who's shit. He's clearly good. He, he, he's not that good. It's not 72 million good. And he hasn't like fitted in in the team and what Arteta wants, probably not in England or the Premier League either, blah, 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 etc. The, the problem with the Lacazette Aubameyang thing in particular was what they blocked. And then so what did we have to do when Lacazette Aubameyang and Pepe didn't fit together? We were like, we haven't really got any money. Who, who can we get on a free transfer? Willian. And <laughs> that's just like... You know, signing William to try and sort that out is like is like setting your house on fire fire because you've got a spider. You know, it's it's just like, and then that was another problem we had to get rid of. And and you know, and and it's what like Lacazette and Abamyang did good stuff. I mean, I think Abamyang did more, but they did good stuff for Arsenal. They're yeah. not bad players. It's what they've stopped us doing, and we've got very lucky that that forward line has a couple of academy players who've come hot in it because. Um, imagine, like, just imagine for a second if Smith Rowe and Saka hadn't come through, which which they usually don't. That doesn't usually happen. We'd it hadn't still happened be, for years before. <laughs> yeah, we'd still be trying to make like Pepe, Aubameyang, and Lacazette work together with Willian. Like, we, we'd we'd be we'd be completely stuck with that, and we were stuck with it. And look, Pe- Pepe to me feels like the last of the, you know, the Kalasenac, Mustafi, like pay-to-leave people. I'm, I'm not sure if it would be quite a pay-to-leave. I, I mean, I think it will be, more or less. I don't think like they're going to pay up his contract or tear it up, but you know, it might be a, a loan where we swallow half the way. Like, he feels like... And this is not to have a go at him personally, so I shouldn't say him. Like That signing, that piece, feels like the last one where we're going, right, this is a problem we've got to sort out now. Uh, the others, like, you know, Torreira, he's been on, but he's got one year left, left on his deal. Maitland Niles, couple of loan spells, one, like, it, it's up for them. It's like, take pretty much anything you can get and get, you know, take five million, take six million, get them out the door. And, and again, because like what I was saying earlier about um, a lot of our other business will depend on, on, on sales, I'm of the view with a lot of these. Just take anything and get them out the door. Get the money. Get the people you want in. And and to be to be fair, that is kind of what they did with like Callum Chambers, for example, in January. No one saw that coming. They let him go for free <laughs> just to get him out the door. And you know maybe that was a bit silly, but I I I kind of hope that that's the attitude they take. And they're just like five million for Torreira. Fine. We're, we're like, I don't want to waste time arguing about it. Yeah. Give me the five million for him. Give me the five million for Maitland Niles. Give me the seven million for Bellerin. All probably ridiculously underpriced, but fuck it. Take the money, get them out the door, get the people you want in the door. And But to me, Pepe feels like the last one where it might be on deadline day. We're arguing yeah. with a club from France about an option to buy versus an obligation to buy. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and look, you want to be efficient. And and we're in a position because we have a lot of young talent where I, I think the important thing is not to make the one big, splashy, bad mistake. You know, and like Liverpool got really lucky. I, I think they get more credit than they deserve. They got outcomes that I think it's impossible to reproduce 10 out of 10 times. But I will say, if you can buy three 35 million pound players of the Mane, Salah, Diaz, Jota kind of caliber, I don't know. I, I think you do that because if two hit or even if one hits, it's okay. You spend the 80 million and it doesn't quite work out. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think that puts you in a really bad position. You can't move the player. You're committed to the player. You now don't have the solution in that position. So I, I do like the versatility approach, the, the efficiency approach, I guess would be the way to put it. 
and, and Tim, as you pointed out, you know, the party situation had to work. It has worked injuries, notwithstanding, um, you know, and, and that's been a benefit. Let's, let's finish on two quick topics. One for you, uh, Clive, and one for you, Tim. Uh, Clive, the, the Academy has done some great things for us, but I think it has, I think it has been a problem for fans because now we're like, oh, cool. All the Academy players come in and become stars. And we build our whole team from Academy players and they're all Bukayo Saka and they're all Emil Smith-Rowe and it's going to be brilliant. And like, sure, who was the last player of that caliber our Academy produced? Ashley Cole? I mean, even Jack Wilshire didn't really make it for us. Sesk wasn't an Academy player. Like, we really haven't had one. So I, I do think it can be dangerous to look into the Academy, take whatever bright young player is in there, and just in your mind, start penciling them into the future of a position. Brooke Norton Coffey, um, Amari Hutchinson, these are names that I think come up a lot. Would those be the two you might be looking at that could get a Europa League debut, that could get League Cup minutes, that could? So is there a surprise emergence out of the academy next season, or do you think we need to pump the brakes on expectations? Uh, let's just talk. Well, this is why I love this time of year not just because of transfer rumors but i am basically um i'm ever present at the emirates cup <laughs> i love a pre-season game <laughs> i don't think i've missed one since they came along tim, uh, tim doesn't even want them to be televised or attended he thinks it's a, it's a disaster for and so basically i love a pre-season friendly because you for the young players it's really important and you get a chance to see them alongside men and see how they look so it's four players to talk about right so let's go through them quickly you got Chai Patino, um, super talented, smooth player, he sees it well, the ball flows through him, lovely pictures, long, short passes, can step the first man, just needs to grow up, right? just needs to grow up and get more physical. He's going to be wonderful, not sure what he's going to be, but everything in the, the talent's not an issue, physicality and just just time to grow is all that that's all it needs to. The only thing that's holding him up. You've got um, Brooke Norton Cuffey. Well, physicality is not an issue for him because he has all of the man muscles in place. He's a beast. He's away at Lincoln, stormed it, League One. Interesting to see what we do. Now, preseason is very important for him because when he puts on his training kit and stands next to Cedric, if you're if you're there in the rondos, you're looking at him thinking, well, maybe let's see how he goes, shall we? Preseason could be interesting. If he does well, then he stays. He doesn't go out on loan. If there's some rough bits there, then loan him again. And then Cedric, say to Cedric in his ear, find an agent, mate, that can get you out of here, get you to Porto for three million because this kid's coming and we don't want to block his path, right? So that that's another one. The other one is Hutchison. There's rumours of him going to Reading for a full season loan. Interesting that Hutchison one because he is similar in profile to Marquinhos. So what do they see there? What's the plan there? I'm not too sure. So I'm Reading for a season could be good needs to play he's storming for under 23s he's shooting when he likes he's doing everything he likes he's taking free kicks to himself he's, he's past it right he's gone past that level so he needs to play and see where he's at um and the last one is someone i don't know so much about but i find quite interesting and this could be the surprise one and that's marcelo flores Right, so oh yeah, good good shout. Yeah, Mexican international, right? I mean, full Mexican international. Yeah, full Mexican international. Again, I've seen, I've watched all the games on online. I haven't seen him live myself, yeah. but yeah. but very light, pressy, wispy player, full of technique. Can play ten, can play left, can play right. They've even said he played at centre forward in some time. I've never seen it, but he is a forward type player that's really been well sought after. I think just came out to play for Mexico Mexico the other day. Uh, at his international choice, could have played for England, I think. I think it's one other he could have played for, but he chose in Mexico. Canada. And, sorry, mate, was that one? Canada. That's right. Where he's born. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Thanks, Tim. And so, um, and I I think mm, he's a sneaky one because he's, he's a pressing, attacking forward. Again, he plays from the left. But he has really got a strong, strong reputation in the game. Now, I just heard today that he was due to go off in Mexico in the 20s, but he decided not to go off in Mexico in the 20s and focus on Arsenal's preseason. And I'm going, go on, my son. This is your time, right? You've had some injuries. You're back. You're showing your stuff. Come back. All those blokes who have gone to Mykonos, all those men, you come back. You stay fit. 
and you, you do all the training runs, you whip everybody and come in there and see if you can do it in pre-season. So he'll be somebody I'll, yeah. I'll be watching very closely to see, to go back to Tim's, to Tim's point earlier about the lack of wide men. You know, um, maybe we've got one there at this stage in his career. So he's one that could just blow our minds potentially. And again, I, I'm just saying this not from a super depth of knowledge, just from watching the same games on YouTube and the same games on the website that we can all watch. And he's a very interesting player. Played a game against Chelsea, whacked him. He's at, he's at that top level with those guys that we know the names of and could surpass them very, very quickly. So he'll be my sneaky one, Elliot, to watch out for. And those are the four golden boys. Their pathways, along with Balogun, their pathways will be interesting to watch. I think that's a really, really good shout and one that um, has actually come up in our Discord and mentioned a few times. We're going to do more on the Academy. And in fact, uh, I'm working with Art DeRoche to get him uh, to get him on the pod. I know he watches a lot of the Academy. So we'll have um, we'll have much more on the Academy and um, just much more podcasts because, you know, there's just lots of podcasts. So don't worry about it. Uh, I should mention, actually, that uh, Scott sat down with Adam Ray Vogue, Vogie, sorry, to do a transfer analytics video and pod. That'll be out tomorrow. Uh, and so that's very exciting. And we had a, a pod that we just did. Um, Clive, I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. What did we do on Tuesday? We, we did a scouting video for Saliba. Saliba, yeah. And, and we talked about Saka's contract situation. So over on the Patreon side, lots of fun stuff happening. But of course, we're just happy to hear have you here as well. So, you know, just be where you want to be. We'll be where we want to be, and we'll all be hopefully together in one of the places. Tim, final question. Brazil. We're partnering with Brazil. Uh, Sao Paulo, to be exact. This is hopefully not a special partnership in the vein of Real Madrid and Tottenham Hotspur, but more in the vein of us and France from the Arsene Wenger days. How do you feel about this decision? I, I presume guided by Edu's knowledge of the region to try to um, find value in a market that maybe the wise scouts of the world, the the dashboard, you know, uh, keyboard scouts like our, like ourselves or the the video scouting departments now that have replaced all the real actual human scouts, maybe they're not in these areas. Maybe there are hidden gems still out there and this may be a place to find them. Uh, what do you think of this, this partnership that we've, we're sort of just beginning to learn about? Yeah, sure. Just on the academy, I'd, I'd add oh, sorry, quickly. Yes, yeah, yeah, really quickly. The the thing I'm excited about is who do we produce to sell, right? Because you look at the big money that we've made over the last few years. It won't be Martinez, uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, and there's one more I'm missing. Willock, right? Not not all academy kids, but but guys we had from teenage, right? That's where we've made money in the market, <laughs> and so you know. With the Europa League back, maybe one of these guys comes in. Maybe Balogun, you know, maybe he's the one who just goes, yeah, not quite going to make it Arsenal, but we'll get thirty million for you. On um on the Sao Paulo link up, I, I really like. Hang this. on, hang on, Clive has to make one quick line. I think sure. I don't know. I think it's a one liner. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> well, I just got. We we have very no, studious listeners, don't we? And we don't mention the fact that our under 23s manager Kevin Betsy has gone to Crawley Town and taken our under 18s manager with him. Uh, that that leads us with a little bit of a gap, shall we say. And when you're young, mm-hmm. these people matter to you in your careers. There's a little bit of a more of emotional connection and how they develop you in this level of trust. So that's a challenge for the club. Unless we're going to do a link with Crawley Town, which links very smoothly to Sao Paulo, shall we say. <laughs> so, right. and, and, so it's just and one to And a worthwhile cut in, Clive, absolutely, because you've saved us all from from having the uh, the reply, guys. So thank thank you for that. All right, Tim? Yeah, sure. So first of all, it's a market Edu knows. Why the hell would you not use that? Why the hell would you not use the expertise that you have within your club? But also they're looking apparently at doing one with Feyenoord as well. So this looks dangerously to me like a coherent strategy where we're trying to partner with some of these, you know, like middle tier, I guess, clubs in again in in the wealth respect so yeah why why the hell not like partner with with some of these and if you get one player one player it's all worthwhile yeah well said and i i hope we get more than one player many players of the shall we say gabriel martinelli variety i for one would be very very happy of that so uh, let's leave it there there's always going to be more to do but i feel like we have made a podcast out of a period that maybe isn't the most 
fecund when it comes to to rumors and information and news. Fecund is a fun word to say. Feels like you're saying something naughty, but actually fecund is not a naughty word. Um, so that's one that you can try out with your friends at home. Tim's on Twitter. So better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Please, please, please do that because I spit nothing but nonsense over there. I do love you. I do appreciate you being here, as do we all. Paul will be back on a future pod. Scott uh, driving the ship for the Patreon pod tomorrow, so don't miss that. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Transfer window new. No.